Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 36 to chapter 18, verse 22, records the events of Paul's second missionary journey. Acts 16 details how God stopped Paul from going into various regions of Asia Minor. God also gave Paul a vision of a Macedonian man pleading for Paul's help. Recognizing this vision as divine direction, Paul and his companions crossed over to Macedonia and began spreading the gospel message in the region. Okay, that brings us to question number one on page 53 of our personal study guides. Where do you feel most safe? Where do you feel most safe? Now we live in a tumultuous world. Like, is there any place people feel safe? <laughs> but that's the question. <laughs> Where do you feel most safe? In my house with all the down. Okay, in your house. <laughs> with all the what? With all the shutters rolled down? <laughs> you know, uh, that's interesting. The, the people that I, that I work for, they have, they have a... Uh, their house is on the fifth floor of, of this high-rise. And they just discovered uh, recently that the door that leads to an outside area where the air-conditional handlers are doesn't lock. It never locked. And uh, they just became aware of it. And uh, it was concerned. Now, they have all the security, get the alarm system, and then they get these, uh, you know, these things that you put up against the door, the stench door, yeah. someone tried. They got all of that for all the doors. And they just realized that that particular door, it didn't have a lock. It never locked. All right? And so I got a call from her one day. She was in India, and she said, uh, I gave Kevin as our maintenance guy. Kevin comes here to church. Kevin Cooper does all the maintenance for us. And so she said, I told Kevin, gave Kevin some things to do for me while I'm away. And um, when I contacted Kevin, that was one. But I never realized the door never locked either. You know, but... Uh, that's one of the things uh, that people are concerned about. So Kevin changed the lock on that door. Uh, so you feel safe when you're in the house and all the roll down shutters are down. Anybody else? In the car while you're driving. Huh? <laughs> you stop the traffic lights. <laughs> in the car while you're driving. In the car while you're driving, you feel safe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you got to remember to lock the door sometimes. Yeah, lock, lock the doors too, right? <laughs> but once you stop, you kind of. Mm -hmm. Feel hmm? weary. Driving. Driving is one of the most dangerous things you ever do. That's right. That's a pain. <laughs> to each his own. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's look at the first. I'm looking at accidents. I'm looking at uh, Let's look at Bible Meets Life. Bible Meets Life on page 54. Um, Increasing people are devoting anywhere. From around 40, 40, 40, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, go ahead. Increasingly, people are devoting anywhere from around 40,000 to more than 80 million dollars to install a bunker or their, on their property. The philosophy. The philosophy behind spending as much money is simple. In case of a disaster, People who want to be sick and comfortable, and then Potential. potentially be safe and comfortable for a long period of time. You may not be ready or able to shell millions of dollars in store 
to install and conquer. But we can all relate to to the desire of, for safety, stability, and comfort. These are all good desires, but if they are incorporated into a church, they can be counterproductive to the church's mission. Though the majority of churches in America are not closed to outsiders, many have a bunker mentality. mentality mm -hmm. They stay. They stay safe and warm in their own church property. They want other people to visit, however, and even get involved. They may even make guests feel welcome if they come to church. Unfortunately, most people never come to the church building. We need to come out of our church, bump up, go where people are, and extend the invitation. Okay, what is the point? Engaging others with the gospel means going where they are. Okay, engaging others means going where they are because some people will never, ever come to church. So you've got to go where they are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this challenge today. Uh, help us to gain a vision for welcoming others. Thank you for leaving heaven uh, to bring us to yourself and help us to express our appreciation for that and how we treat and deal with others and welcoming them and going to where they are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first uh, scripture verse we have. Uh, just read the verse. And then we're going to look at some thoughts or some comments on that verse. Verses 6 to 8 of Acts 16. They went through the region of Paraguay, Phrygia, and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. In Asia, in Asia. And then they came to Mycia. Mycia. They tried to go into Lenin. Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Okay. A couple of thoughts there on those verses. Um, verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So Paul and his companions, and his companions were, were Timothy and Silas at that time, uh, served as a model of those who persevere uh, untiringly in their efforts to reach others for the gospel of Christ. We could look at them as a, as a good model uh, for those who will not get tired and not get weary of reaching others with the gospel of Christ. They traveled through the regions of Phrygia, Galatia, and Phrygia and Galatia, as we see in the verse. Phrygia was located partly in the Roman province of Asia and partly in the province of Galatia. It was divided into northern and southern regions. The northern region of Galatia was considered uncivilized and was populated with Celtic tribesmen. The southern half was more civilized and included the cities of Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, those verses that we read of 
in the book of Acts. The exact nature of Paul's activities in these areas is kind of debatable. We don't know exactly what he did. Some hold the view that Paul and his companions simply passed through these areas, while others believe they spent time evangelizing uh, in these areas and visiting previously established churches in those areas. Scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't know. Paul and his team wanted to go to Asia, which was to the west of Phrygia and Galatia. Asia could have referred to the Roman province of Asia, which included Lycia, Lydia, Mysia, and portions of Phrygia as well. On the other hand, Asia could have been referring to the area including the cities between Philadelphia and the coast of the Aegean Sea. We don't know. Could be either one of those. Whatever Paul's intent, the Holy Spirit forbade him from preaching the gospel in that area, and God always knows best. God always knows what is right and when the timing is right. And so God says, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. Then look at verse 7. 7 says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. Not allow them. Again, Holy Spirit is directing and guiding the course of their endeavors. So heeding God's message, Paul and his companions traveled north to Mysia. Mysia was located in the northwestern part of Asia Minor. Paul and his companions were most likely traveling up the eastern border of Mysia. From Mysia, Paul had intended to go further north to Bithynia, another Roman province located along the southern shore of the Black Sea. Paul probably intended to evangelize the cities of the region, which included Byzantium, Nicaea, and Nicomedia, the seat of the Roman power in that region. Uh, Roman had great authority and power in that particular region. Paul wanted to go there. But then, for the second time, Paul and his companions were not allowed to enter the area as planned. Man plans, but God determines the outcome. And we see that in these verses. They had all kinds of plans. Laid out well-intentioned plans, but God had other plans. Good lesson for us to learn. When we make our plans, we need to make sure that we commit them to the Lord. So that he would be the one directing us. And this time, Holy Spirit did not allow him to go into this area. This time, it was the Spirit of Jesus who would not allow them to travel as they intended. The Spirit of Jesus may have been a vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, or could have been another title for the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul and his companions were sensitive to God's leading in their evangelistic efforts. And sometimes people are not sensitive. They have their minds so made up, and because they believe it's a good thing, they want to just barrel in there. But Paul and his, his, his companions were sensitive uh, to the call. And uh, why did the Spirit not allow the missionaries into this region? We would probably ask. Luke did not give a reason in his writings, in the passage that we have before us. However, both these incidents of not being permitted into the area did not mean the gospel would never be preached there. It just means that it wasn't God's timing for the gospel to be preached there. While Paul did not travel to these areas, the gospel eventually reached the people of these regions. Uh, We know that because of Peter's first letter. First Peter chapter 1 verse 1 Peter says, and the apostles of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout 
Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen. So we know the gospel did get there. It's just that Paul wasn't the ones who, who, who took it. God had other plans and other people to do that. Verse 8 says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Obedient to the Spirit's leadership, didn't di- no diverting, no debating, no argument among themselves about the plans that they made and how well laid those plans were. They simply obeyed. Okay, they passed Mysia and went on to Troas. Passing by could either mean they did, they, they did not stop there to evangelize. They just simply traveled along the northern coast of Mysia since there was no main road through the region to the coast. Eventually, they reached Troas, Alexandria Troas, a Roman colony located on the west coast of Asia Minor, about 30 miles south of the ancient city of Troy. Troas was a major seaport northwest of Asia Minor, having an artificial harbor that seemed a primary access route to Macedonia. And so we see that they made all these plans, uh, well-intentioned plans, uh, but God says, you know what? I've got other plans. And that tells us that we need to make the kind of adjustments that are needed when God says so. Look at question number two. When have you been thankful God told you no? Anybody? <laughs> when have you been thankful that God told you no? That I was trying to buy a piece of property in the area. Mm-hmm. That um, I thought it would have been okay. And he just directed me in another area that I am really enjoying myself. <laughs> okay. In my home. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> All right, so you listened. Yeah, I listened. Okay, anybody else? When have you been thankful that God told you no? I mean, you had your mind set on it. You had, you had, you had, all plans were made. This is Brenda, what are you up to? <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> when I go to try to finish the house, offer it starts. Mmm. Be good boy, guys. Say you said that, you see? <laughs> mm. I'm so glad I did, you know. <laughs> mm. So it was a good decision? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's look at the uh, the paragraphs beneath the verse that we read. Uh, someone want to read those those paragraphs, please? Well, His entire life was devoted to going out and meeting people wherever they were with the message of the gospel. Sometimes that meant meeting Jews in the synagogue. Other times it meant meeting Gentiles in the marketplace. How Paul present the message of the gospel different from occasion to occasion because he had a different audience. See, First Corinthians 9, 22. Okay, let's look at that verse, that passage. First uh, Corinthians chapter nine to twenty-two. Uh, nine, nine, twenty to twenty-two. Does someone have that to read it? For the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not be myself under the law. 
so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. Okay, continue. But his, his powerful philosophy remains to sing. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. They are. It's important for us to see just how Paul was to reach the others. He wanted to go into Asia, but the Spirit stopped him from doing so. This is the opposite of many of us experience. We are hesitant to share because we are concerned with getting the words right. So we look for some kind of divine confirmation that this is the right moment, that this is the right person. We should have the opposite, have the opposite perspective. The gospel should go be so readily on the tip of our tongue that we reckon any woman is the right woman and any person is the right person. This was how Paul approached his life and ministry. What might help us from keep what might keep us from having that same kind of passion and perseverance in sharing the gospel. Prosperity one of the most subtle but dangerous enemies of our passion and perseverance. Evangelism is prosperity. Prosperity in particular make us feel comfortable and the more comfortable we are, the more hesitant we are to do anything that might disrupt that sense of comfort. The temptation is to simply keep the status quo. Busyness, going out to reach others for Christ will take time, a lot of time and time and space, scarcity and resource in our culture. If we want to be about the busyness of evangelism, then the time to witness to others is going to have to come from somewhere. We may have to retain all our activities and rearrange our priorities to make time to do so. Faithfulness. Faithlessness. Faithlessness. Right, thank you. One final obstacle to our passion and perseverance in evangelism is simply a lack of faith. We do really believe the gospel has the power to change people's lives. Perhaps our own lack of faith is one of the reasons it is sometimes difficult for us to tell others about compounding this obstacle of prosperity, business, and our lack of faith is the simple reality that sharing the gospel is not always a one-time conversation, rather it often requires an investment of time in a relationship that provides several opportunities not only to talk about the good news, but about 
Jesus, but also to faithfully model the gospel. Okay. Couple of uh, bullet points we find in that passage: uh, prosperity, busyness, and faithlessness. Three uh, things you need to focus on and think about. Prosperity, one of the most subtle but dangerous enemies of our passion and perseverance in evangelism is prosperity. And we hear that and we see that a lot today. And then busyness. Going out to reach others for Christ will take time. A lot of time. Time is a scarce resource in our culture. In our, in our culture today. A lot of people don't want to spend the time that it takes to invest in reaching others for Christ. And then faithlessness. One final obstacle to our passion and perseverance in evangelism is simply a lack of faith. We look at the lifestyle and the worldview of some individuals and we come to the conclusion that, oh no, they, they're not going to get saved. <laughs> faithlessness. We do not have faith that God has the power to reach that person, whatever they are, whoever they are, and whatever their worldview or their lifestyle is. So keep those three in mind, prosperity, business, and faithlessness. In the next verses, we'll see how we can embrace the opportunities before us to present Christ. So let's look at the next passage we have, and that is verses 9 to 10. So someone read the, the verse alone, just during, those verses. Okay. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and, and help us. After he had seen the vision, he immediately made efforts to set up for Macedonia, concluding that God, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, look at question number three. Who in our community might be saying, cross over and help us today? Think about that. Who in our community, perhaps community where you live right now, who in that community is saying, who might be saying, cross over and help us today? Anyone? My friend just reminded me of my grandson had a job on Friday mm -hmm. to set up, pay, uh, set up a pay system for a street meeting for me on the park. Mm -hmm. And I was able to watch it, you know, on my phone all the way through. And it was amazing to see when, they, when he did an altar call, the amount of people that were have to say. Mm -hmm. Which we don't have today, street, you know, street meetings. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That reminded me of Brother Angelo Roca. Mm -hmm. he, when he was here, he took a lot of the young guys from church on street meetings every week. Okay, good. Anyone else? Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on that attached to that verse. <coughs> Someone go ahead and read it, please. Paul was constantly looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit was faithful to give him the dream that specifically directed him to cross over into Macedonia. Paul immediately obeyed. You probably won't have a dream directing you to travel to a particular place, but the truth is you don't need one. Jesus has already given us a clear command to go into the entire world and share the gospel as his witnesses. See Matthew 28, 19 and Acts 1, 8. 
Okay, let's look at those two verses. Um, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We know that verse quite well, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter uh, of verses, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Continue. What we need more than a dream is a posture of ready awareness. To assume this posture of ready awareness, we must keep certain truths before us. Jesus is coming back. It could be today, like now, or now, or now, or maybe tomorrow. That's kind of the point. Jesus taught a series of parables that all centered on his return and how his people should prepare. See Matthew 24, 4-41. to 41. Continue, go on. Then he declared in Matthew 24, verse 42, Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Opportunities are all around us. God has gone before us to prepare opportunities for us to speak and demonstrate the truth of the gospel. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Ephesians 2, verse 10. We have the tendency to drift. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. Hebrews 2, verse 1. No one drifts toward Jesus. Instead, like a boat not anchored in the middle of the sea, unless we are actively and alertly fighting against it, we will always move away from our original position. Okay, a couple of main points uh, from that. Uh, the first one is Jesus is coming back. You believe that? Yes. We're looking forward to that, right? It could be today. Like now, or now, or now, or maybe tomorrow. That's kind of the point. And then opportunities are all around us. Do we see them? God has gone before us to prepare opportunities for us to speak and demonstrate the truth of the gospel. And regardless of wherever you go, uh, you can be assured that there's opportunities for you to demonstrate that. If you are looking for them, Sometimes you may not be even looking for them, but they will be there. And then we have a tendency to drift. No one drifts toward Jesus. Unless we are actively fighting against it, we will always move away from our original position. Three points uh, uh, to keep in mind. Okay, Jesus is coming back, opportunities, opportunities are all around us, and we have a tendency to drift. Okay, we have one final passage, uh, Luke, uh, Acts, sorry, chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. Uh, someone go ahead and read that, please. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, look at chapter, uh, question number four. How would you describe God's part and our part in leading others to Christ? How would you describe God's part and our part in leading others to Christ? Quick description, brief description. I think a connection mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, you know. Okay. He will draw you or tell you what to say, you know. It's a connection between you and the Holy Spirit. Okay, connection? Yes. All right, anybody else? I think it puts people in your path. You yeah. have to now take the time to yeah. reach them and work with them and try to, okay. you know, get them to know All right. about him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we orchestrate by putting people in our path. Okay. Anyone else? I would say God work on both sides of the street. When he's preparing our path for you, preparing you to speak to that path. Okay, when he's preparing the heart of someone to receive, he's preparing you to, to give. Okay. All right. Let's go and look at the paragraphs beneath that passage, that verse. From this simple story, we learn a few key things about sharing Christ with others. One, sharing Christ requires a verbal testimony. An old saying states, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Speaking the truth of the gospel has little effect if the words are not backed up by a lifestyle that exemplifies love and compassion of Jesus. But this statement is erroneous if implying words isn't necessary. Preaching the gospel always requires words. Two, responding to Christ requires the work of God. Paul and his companions did their part. They gave a faithful witness to the truth of the gospel. Lydia and the other women at the river were listening intently. And that's when the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. This is an important truth. Responding to Christ requires the work of God. Number three, sharing Christ produces ripples. After Lydia believed, the effects of that gospel encounter began to ripple outward. Lydia believed, and so did her whole household. It was through those ripples that the believing community in Philippi grew and Philippians was eventually written. We should not underestimate the power of a single conversation, the power a single conversation can have in the hands of God. Okay, a couple of key points in those passages about sharing Christ with others uh, that stand out. Sharing Christ requires a verbal testimony. Speaking the truth of the gospel has little effect if words are not backed up by a lifestyle that exemplifies the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important to share your story. You know, how Christ ministered to you, how Christ dealt with you, how he, how he reached you. And then responding to Christ requires the work of God. Paul and companions, Paul's companions did their part they gave a faithful witness to the truth of the gospel. 
Lydia and the other women at the river were listening intently. They were listening to every word that came out. And then three, sharing Christ produces ripples. We should not underestimate the power of a single conversation. We should not underestimate the power a single conversation can have in the hands of God. God has a way of doing things that we could never ever anticipate or imagine. Never underestimate it. Question number five. How can the truth of these verses help our group be more welcoming? How can the truth of these verses help us as a group, as a class, to be more welcoming? What do you think? Any thoughts? It's just like it's just like this um thing. Trust and obey. Put it into practice with integrity. Okay. Put it into practice. If you go and talk it to someone. Okay. Uh, she said something similar to what I was going to say. Okay. Just live out the truth of what is explained in these three uh, statements. Okay. Live out the three points in the bullet yes. point. Okay, share Christ, respond as Christ, and share Christ producing ripples. Okay, the point again? <coughs> okay, getting out of the four walls, because sometimes people will not come into the four walls, and that could be a number of reasons for that. Uh, intimidation could be one of them. Okay, uh, how do we flesh this out? Let's look at Page 60. The church should not be a bunker. Instead, we must go where others are. Choose one of the following applications. Pray about fear. What is your biggest fear or apprehension about sharing the gospel with someone else? Share that fear with someone in your group and ask him or her to pray for you to overcome it. And then secondly, seek the opportunity. Who is the one person in your relational circle you know does not believe the gospel? Pray and look for the opportunity to share with that person. And thirdly, serve together. Brainstorm with your group about practical ways to go out together to serve and speak the word of the gospel. Okay, get in a huddle. And figure out the plan. Like the guys in the football field, they get in a huddle and they call the game plan. All right? Get in a huddle. Pray about fear. Seek the opportunity. Serve together. Choose any one of those three. Probably all three of them. To be truly a welcoming church and to obey the commission of Jesus, we cannot sit around and wait for people to come into the church building. We must instead take the initiative and go to where the people are. Amen? 